0: Hey, we're in the 1st Timothy chapter 3, Timothy chapter 3, we'll be picking right back up here in chapter 3, verse 8, and we'll go through to verse 16, the end of the chapter. Now, Paul, in this section of the letter, verses 1 through 7, we covered where he addressed the qualifications of the bishop. Synonymous to that term, bishop, we see elder and also pastor. So those are interchangeable, but it, those three terms or those three words have a different perspective of the role of a leadership in or a leader in the church to oversee the spiritual needs of the church. And we'll just, as a broadness perspective, I'll refer to it as the bishop, sometimes I'll refer to it in the teaching of, as an elder, the pastor, but just know that it's one and the same, but it's an overseer over the flock as a pastor, over the flock of the of the sheep that God has been adding to the local church to, in my responsibility, is to oversee or to minister to feed. And we are going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in this next section here as well, but... For the most part, we'll know that as the bishop or the pastor, the overseer, they have the twofold responsibility, if you remember last week, and that is to teach and to rule. Ruling and teaching, meaning to oversee and protect and guide and, and guard, but also to feed the sheep so that they're healthy and that you know the Word of God, that you understand the Word of God, and that it will help you to apply the Word of God. And a pastor is able to teach the people what the Word of God teaches and to give direction as to how that is to be accomplished in and through the local church. I'm not looking to get into your personal lives to the degree that most people think. It's only when you come to me and ask me, can you help me in my personal life and applying the scriptures appropriately? And I'm here to do that because you're part of the church. But do I go looking? <laughs> no, I don't go looking. My job is to feed you as you come here and come here on Wednesday nights or any other, the gatherings and whoever the men are going to be teaching the uh, the, the, the uh the men, or in this case, or a woman's teaching another woman, or the people who are teaching the children. I'm responsible for making sure that the Word of God is being taught and taught rightly, rightly divided. Where it comes to you know, the uh, direction of the ruling, that comes to you asking and to me, God using me in your life, because you're part of the family here, what we call Calvary Chapel. Today we will take the second and third part of chapter 3 which is verses 8 through 13 describing the qualifications of the office of the deaconship or the, as the deacon um, or deacons and then we also will see in verses 14 and 16 we will, Paul addresses the believer, the church and their responsibility, their view of, of responsibility. And like the bishop, the deacon, he desires a good work. In these qualifications, this person it has a desire to do a good work for the Lord that God has put on their heart. And spiritual leadership in the church isn't all about, as I mentioned before, about a sp- specific title or a specific position or honor or glory that a man looks to go get. That is not the right mindset uh, in regards to God, someone God's calling, it's a humbleness of realizing, why, Lord, <laughs> why would you pick me of all people? I mean, there's no, I, I cannot believe you would even think about using me in that capacity of leadership. And those are usually the ones that is sh- more shocking to them that God's calling them to leadership than, uh, than not. Mark 9.35 states, as Jesus said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And that is the, truly the definition of a deacon in regards to the servant of all. Now here we pick up here in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3, and we see likewise deacons must be, likewise uh, diakonosis it means servant that's what deacon uh, or deacons means which places an emphasis on the practical physical needs of the body that local church that body of Christ here we call Calvary chapel now keep in mind as we th- this 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 office of this this servant that god raises up to have a Very much a very singled focus upon the practical attitude that you have in regards to serving the people that God is bringing there together as a body. An example of this was uh, appointment of deacons in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 through 6 and most of you all know that if you've been studying the word where the apostles saw there was a great need to those to distribute the daily assistance of those widows and others that were in need, and they were not being taken care of. The the, the spiritual leaders, the, the the apostles, couldn't do ministering to uh, spiritually and try to take care of the physical needs in regards to serving the tables and making sure people were taken care of physically. There had to be someone appointed or will rise up to help the, uh, the uh, pastors in this case, the apostles, to be able to minister to others. And they appointed those very trustworthy, very faithful, very prayerful type men to rise up to, uh, to as deacons in that church to be able to serve and to take care of those needs. They were assisting the spiritual leaders to help minister to the people that were coming to gather. Now, deacons must be, uh, as we see, the qualifications of the office of deacon are essentially the same as the bishop. As the spiritual leaders, the pastors, the elders, the the bishop, is that uh, the deacons have the same thing except one key qualification. They do not have to have the ability to teach. Now, I've met many deacons over the years, and I have not found one that has not had the ability to teach one on one they have no desire to get up here to teach in front of the public but you get them one on one and they are happy to share with you the scriptures with you that's why many times deacons may be ordained as a deacon and over time find they become into a position where they are then ordained as an elder because they find that god uses them more in the position of a spiritual leader than just just taking care and making sure the physical needs of the gathering of the people is safe and clean and orderly and and, and available things are available for the sheep to gather. And so that can change and has changed and would change more likely as people uh, thinking, oh, yeah, I can, I can be a deacon, I'll be fine behind the scenes, no, no big deal, I can do that. And yet and if, if you send someone, I'm happy to share the scripture with them. And, and I find myself always doing that, you know, uh, through the day-to-day operations of a church and then all of a sudden you know they get to a point where you realize no no they really need to be they're called to do more than uh, the uh, additional in regards to the spiritual now the deacons are to be a spiritual in tune with the elders of that church and seeking to assist them in implementing the goals that the the, the bishop, the pastor, has set out for that church body. They're there to listen and to watch and to see. You know, I don't have to have, a, there's not a question in my mind. We're, we're having men's breakfast yesterday. I'm telling you that was a sweet time together, men. Every second uh, Saturday of each month, we were going to be doing men's breakfast. That was so sweet yesterday. But all I had to say is, I, we really need to move forward with men's fellowships. Coming back up, the men's uh, teachings are coming back up on Thursday nights. And I said, let's do a men's fellowship. I didn't have to even think about the details many times because um, we have... Uh, Trust in men who were like yes we'll make sure I'll take care of that and a lot of those little details I didn't have to explain they understood I can assist I can help you with achieving that goal of having men's uh, men's breakfast and in young men's rising up and I had to tell you I was just blessed being able to to cook side by side uh, with uh, with men it, it was a tremendous blessing for me it may not have been for them because I was pretty messy, but they at least were—they were clean. My side was a mess. Their side was so clean and orderly. I said, "You're going to take over the whole thing next time. You're much better at it than I am." But it's a mistake to see, as we take a look in, in the scriptures and see the two different offices within the church, being the bishop and the deacon, as somehow being of higher or lesser of a position, and that's just not accurate. It's a mistake to see one office more prestigious than the other. Though the elder has more responsibility before God in regards to the responsibility of teaching, each is more, it's a more of a matter of calling than status. That's what it is. And many faithful, again, deacons rise up and find that they are solidly scripturally sound and they do a lot of hidden behind the scenes ministry one-on-one with people and it's a blessing to see that now let's look at the second part of verse eight and we're going to see now the qualifications of the deacon uh, reverent or respectful is the very first one not double-tongued not given too much wine Not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So when we take a look at the scripture, the first one is the reverent or respectful. Showing a proper respect in this position that they find themselves being called to by God. Towards not only respectful to God, but to respectful to other people. That a deacon should be worthy of respect. A man of Christian character is absolutely paramount in this man's life. He takes his responsibilities seriously. He knows when to have fun and when to joke and when to have to be serious and to get the work done. And he makes sure the work is getting done. And Paul qualifies what reverent or uh, dignified person means here with three knots that follow it. Not double-tongued not giving too much wine and not greedy for money. So it's almost three qualifications for that someone who's dignified or reverent or respectful of the position that they're holding. Double, not double tongue, is a man who speaks the truth the first time. And speaks and continues to speak that same truth the second time, the third time, the fourth time. And it doesn't matter where environment, who he's talking to. He's consistently telling you the truth and what he says is what he says. He doesn't look and say, I'll say one thing to one guy and I'll come over here and have another conversation. And to be a man pleaser or somehow to please him, I'll say something differently. He's not double tongued. He does not tell tales from house to house. He is not a gossiper in any form or fashion. He is what he says, is what he means, and it's clear. The second one is not given to much wine, and notice the difference. And some of you always notice this between the qualifications of the bishop. And here, one is not given to mine, His is not given to much wine. And how freely how people grab a hold of that one word, much, and to justify why in a position as a deacon that they think, okay, not much. I'm not having much. What you, define much for me? You know, it's like everyone's trying to trying to justify in that. But the key thing is, is that This person needs to be alert, needs to be clear minded, having sound judgment, not making bad decisions or forgetting to make decisions practically that could hinder hinder the, the sheep gathering together or hinder people's lives in some way because they didn't secure the building. Because they're in the back going, wasn't that a great service? Man, let's grab the juices here, and we'll just, I get to clean everything up and everyone's gone, and we're just having some juices here, and forgets to clean and lock up the church and stuff, and all of a sudden people rob the place. But that would never happen here. I know that would never happen here. But unfortunately, it does happen in other places. Because the deacons that were put into responsibility of securing and making sure there's order, they're in disorder. <laughs> or slightly in disorder. They just kind of forgot, you know. <laughs> no, we cannot forget these things. These are important. These are God's resources. We also, in Stephen, verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith, being spiritually mature as a deacon, those who can adhere to proper doctrine, out of sincere conviction of a good conscience. The knowledge that God has given them as they read the Word of God has absolutely brought clarity of conscience of what is God's way and what man, and what the world way is, and they do not mix the two. They must not profess one thing but practice another. That should not happen in a, 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 a Uh, A spiritual leader's position, such as a deacon, should not happen. And they're they're usually on the financial board of a church. And because they they want to take care of the collecting of the tithes and counting of the tithes and offerings and all those things that has to take place. But there's a spiritual attitude toward money. This is God's money and they're going to protect it at all costs. And how that is spent at all costs is doing it God's way and in line with the goals of the, of the bishop or the pastor that uh, trying to achieve what needs to be achieved. In verse 10, we see, first be tested. This man, before there's a laying, of, laying on of hands of that person for that position, they must be tested. A man demonstrates his fitness for this office of deacon in the church, by his conduct. First, his qualifications that we see here, but it must be tested in a very practical way. We just need to sit back and watch to see the calling that God has put on this man's life or men's life to rise them up. Now, keep in mind, this, this word in the Greek for deacon uh, means a servant, And as you know, as many times you hear, and I've heard it many times, and again, is there a deacon is all men? Or can they be women as well? Deaconesses. And you always go back to Phoebe, of course, in Romans, and say this was a reference in the New King James Version. It says a servant, and in the Greek, it's the same uh, Greek word. And again, we see a, a, a pattern here and we hold to this church that the office of deacon will be, can be only male as we read the, plainly read the scriptures here. But the thing is, is are there women who um, are raised up by God as deaconesses and a servant of his that's committed to doing the needs of the church? Absolutely they do. Is there an office there? I don't see that. Now, we'll continue to go through the scriptures here, and some people believe that. They believe in, it, it, when we get down to verse 11, we'll see, they go, oh, that, that's what that means. And, and again, I just kind of follow through, through the scriptures and keep it simple. I don't add and try to look into anything other than, and why deacons clarify here, but look at how it continues here, that it must be first tested. The man demonstrates a fitness for this office And again, just like the elders, it's more recognized than appointed. I don't sit there and say, I want to appoint you and appoint you and appoint you like a CEO of a company. That's not how it works. It should not work that way. It is watching and observing and seeing what God is doing through that man's life. That brings to light that there is a calling by God on that person's life. And I am just going to recognize it and make it formal as the scripture says on the laying uh, on of hands of that person and recognizing so that the rest of the congregation can see that that person is in a position of leadership appointed by the senior pastor according to the scriptures. Now, as we take a look at this, we know that as we look here and we say, first be tested, it implies that we're watching their lives and seeing their conduct and being found blameless. There's nothing to stick on them to say, "Mm, I don't think you should uh, probably ordain that guy because he's always saying he'll be there, but he never shows up. And if he does show up, he's always late. Or he's always, good question. That is not someone that God is, that they're, God is um, ruling in that person's life. Because if you're not going to show up when you say you're going to show up, and do it the way you said you're going to do your yes be your yes and no be or no, I assure you you're not, you're not being moved by the Spirit of God. You're just doing it on your own timetable because it's more convenient for you. And that's totally fine. It's between you and the Lord. You're just not going to be ordained and be in a position of leadership. That's just not going to happen, because you have to be trustworthy. You have to be predictable in things. You have to be reliable in these things. We have to know that you're going to be blameless consistently. And then verse eleven. Here's why we see he just Paul just described the carry the qualifications of the deacon from verses 8 through 10. Then there's this pause, this is where it causes some confusions for many who try to look for some justification. And verse 11 says, likewise they're wise. Now, that three words really bring a lot of variation in persp- people's perspective and interpretation. They're saying, because of those three words, that means there's a third kind of positions in the church called deaconesses. I you you can go with that if you'd like that that, that's I'll be uncomfortable if you want to go with that but that's just not my stance that's not what our stance is here in this Calvary Chapel from a leadership perspective I know many of you ladies have raised up and are doing a servant's job and are faithful in that and many will continue to rise up and I it's in tremendous importance Now watch what we see here in verse 11. It says, likewise, they're wives. So it's describing the deacons that they just described prior to that, that the deacons' wives must be a Christian woman who are serious about the ministry. So if I'm going to lay hands on someone to ordain them as a deacon, I have to also look at, if they're married, I also have to look at the wife as well. Why? Because in the practical things of ministry, <laughs> and if you're in the ministry long enough, you will know that if you're a husband and wife team, it's never just the man that's going to be called and work alongside to accomplish the practical things of this church. It's, not, it's just the wife is always by his side. And if it's a wife that's maybe called to teach the children and set up and there's a VBS going along, guess who's right alongside her helping set up VBS? Somehow her husband just gets volunteered. Just, I mean, just reaches and says, yes, I want to come with you, sweetheart. No, typically they're going to do it together in some form or fashion if you're married. And so when I read this, before I lay hands on someone, I cannot just look at the man. I also need to look at the woman because the scripture tells me so. Paul is speaking of a male deacon's wife. And it's appropriate because a man's leadership in the home can be evaluated or it can be good or bad in hindrance in part by his, his wife's conduct serving alongside him. Is she reverent? Is she respectful to her husband? Respectful to others? Is she as well not one of the slanders? She's not a slander to to include um, cyber slashing. You know, that includes cyber slashing here because it used to be one-on-one. Did you pick up and, and send a letter to someone and, and slander them? Did you pick up the phone and call someone and slander someone? Now it's so easy because people use Facebook and other means, the cyber s- system, to slander people on Facebook. That should never happen. Let me say that again. If you're out there thinking because you have some sense of, Ladies, a sense or guys, a sense of security behind the screen that you can just type and post and respond like anything you want to. It's a reflection of you. It's like you just sent a letter or you picked up the phone and made a phone call. It reflects, comes out of, and comes out of your fingertips, is from the heart. So be very careful. So we have to watch that the woman of this deacon that is to be ordained is not a slander in regards to any methodology, not to be a slander, and not in also temperate, meaning pleasant. She has to have a gentle, quiet spirit about her as, the, as we see in the scriptures. Or is she dominating? Is she dominating her husband? Is she ruling her house? She rules everything. She tells what her husband will or will not do? That is that's a that's a, that is a uh, a person that is at would cause risk within the leadership and of the the functioning of the body of Christ. When the the woman of the house rules her husband, we'll also try to rule him in the position that God's called him to be as a deacon. And that, Paul makes it very clear we have to be very careful in regards to not just looking at the man, but also looking at the woman. And she must be faithful in all things. What that means is she cannot have her own agenda. She cannot say, hubby, you've got to get in a position because I'm not allowed to in this church, but I have my own agenda and I'll make sure I'll do it through you. Ladies, be very careful. Don't allow allow you to go outside the will of God when it comes to a calling that God has on your husband to be uh, ordained as a deacon. Be very, very careful. And here's why all of a sudden, here Paul comes back in verse 12 and picks right back up qualifying the qualifications of the the male deacon. He puts a little caveat in about the qualifications of the wife because she is going to be there and have an influence over him. But notice here in verse 12, like deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children and their their own house as well. So Paul completes the qualifications here for the deacons as same as we will see in verse 5 of the bishop. There's got to start in the home. There's got to be order. There's got to be according to how God has designed marriage, doing it God's way, and it's good and it's right regardless of what society and what you might be struggling with at this point in time in regards to the scripture. All I ask is that you continue to seek the Lord Pray on that and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you clearly of what the Scripture says, not what society says. And if you missed the teaching in the previous of Timothy, I recommend you go back and listen to the teachings so that you understand my heart in regards to what I see what the Scripture says. And understand, ladies, what your roles and responsibilities are vast our vast and God's working in through and we know the scripture that God is using like Phoebe that's the example of someone who they refer to as a deaconess can you imagine she was trusted with the letter to the Roman church to make sure that letter was safely delivered to that church that's huge responsibility so it's not like God doesn't use you in huge responsibilities. It's just that God has a purpose and a reason and it might be beyond your understanding at this point in time of why he's designed the church leadership and church function and and, and structure organizational structure within the church. Just just spend some time with the Lord on that. And if you need to, I'm happy to one-on-one with you. I'm absolutely happy to sit down with you to help. Then we pick up here in verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So we see here that God remembers the faithful servants and the faithful service even in tasks which would be considered by most menial tasks, because they're practical tasks. Do you know who's cleaning the bathrooms? <laughs> do, you, do, do you know who's vacuuming the place? Do you know who's securing and unsecuring and making sure everything the light bulbs are changed? I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. And, and that's all they think about. Because they know that's a calling on their life. And they help have others who come along as servants as well and help them. But they're going to make sure there's order and it's getting done. That's the role of the response, of that office of deacons. Is to make sure things are getting done. To assist the pastor in the goals of, of, of spiritual growth that we're trying to achieve within this church. And all of you who are not called, obviously, to be a, the, the pastor or called to be the, uh, as a deacon, but you want to be a servant. We, in our, 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 our structure of the church, we call it laity. You've heard that term. Everyone is a laity. We're all servants. We're all to be servants as we mature and grow in our faith. And so here we say, he says, For those who serve well as deacons obtain... For themselves, a good standing and a great boldness in the faith. So there's no doubt that you will see more deacons with greater rewards than bishops in heaven. (laughs) Because they're behind the scenes and no one knows all the things that they faithfully do for God. And they're just so quietly just working and just always faithfully there serving, serving God and the reward for that what they get is here as Paul says the reward of serving is the ability to continue to serve that's the reward because they continue to be qualified by God to continue to be used by God in the capacity of serving others and him that's the reward they may not get it monetarily. They may not get it because of recognition. They may not get the rewards of any of that. But the reward in heaven will be unbelievable. I tell those in the position, you know, I'm sure your mansion will be much larger than mine. Invite me over. <laughs> you know, let's go to your house. You can hold more people because your faithfulness is tremendous in regards to what God's called you to do. We finished the second part, now the third part. The believer, the church, the mystery of godliness that takes place within the body of Christ here, we call the church. And Paul's reason for writing Timothy is really kind of boiled into this as well. It says, verse 14, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. He had a desire to be there personally to tell Timothy these things. But he also recognized he was being hindered or not able to get there. And the church needed to hear these truths now because there was such confusion or division. Or Timothy started to get a little maybe rocky and a little squishy and, as a new young pastor. Like I'm not sure if I'm going to handle the chaos that's going on right now in the church. Because all these things are going on between the, 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 that we've been reading about in the letter so Paul didn't want to wait. He wanted to make sure he understood. Read these now, start implementing these now in the church, but I, want, I hope to come to you shortly. In verse 15, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So in verse 15, we see three things of the church. What the church is to be. What the churches should be, their function to be. The first one, if you noticed here, is that he's telling Timothy, you must conduct yourself and implement these things in the church because, why? Conduct yourself in the house of God. The house of God, the church must be. Very consistently and consciously the place where God is. Where his name is lifted up on high. That this is a place where God brings his people and where two or more gather together. He is in our presence. This makes a church more attractive than anything else that a church can do is recognize that God is present. That's his, this is His place. The church is God's house. Why? Because He's the architect. He's the architect. He is the builder. He is the provider of the church. It's His church. It's not of all, any of our church. He lives there. He is honored there. He rules there. So we go by his word and what his word says we do. What the word doesn't say we don't do. We are very cautious of doing anything that the word doesn't support or guide us to do. God's church is a family household. You're all welcome as children of God. This is your home. This is where God's come. You are at home. Welcome home. If you've ever gone to a vacation, you can't wait to get home. When you're out in the world in the chaos of the things and you're getting muddied up because of the world, you can't wait to get back to your home. That's what it should be like here. It should feel like home. And you know people. You don't just come and go. In my house... You never come to my house without saying, hey, good we're here. And you never leave my house without saying goodbye. It's a household. This is not an organization or some company. You understand that, right? That's why we want you to feel at home. Sense the peace of God here. When a sinner believes in Jesus Christ as Savior, he immediately is born again into God's family. 1 John, John, John chapter 1 verse 11 through 13 and 1 Peter 1 22 through 25. When you become saved, when you put your trust in the Savior, you're a child of God and you're, you found a home. Paul here is advising this young pastor, Timothy, to treat the church members of the local church as he would treat the members of his own family. And we'll see that in chapter 5, verse Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, the local church is a family, and it must be fed Because the family is hungry. When they show up, they're hungry for the word of God. And the only diet that will nourish the people that come to that church is the pure word of God. We see in the word of God, it is our bread, Matthew 4.4. It's our milk and our meat, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, and Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. And it is as sweet as honey that we see in Psalm 119, verse 103. That's why we say, please, be ready to come and to partake of the meal that the Lord has prepared for us. And the pastor must take the time to nourish himself as well. He needs to be nourished first before he is able to, as he prepares, to give out that feeding to you. We see that warning in 1 Timothy 4.6. I struggle over the scriptures all week long. Waiting for the Lord to show me and give me specifics and keep writing and writing and writing. Until God says, now this is what it is. And then at times as I'm teaching you, many of the things I say are not even anywhere near my notes. So people come back and say, well, no, you said such and such. and It's it's not in my notes. That's what the Lord just showed me to say. That's why I say take notes. (laughs) Go back and listen to the teaching. But we come together to feed. The local church family needs discipline as well or correction in love. And that's what the spiritual leaders of the assembly should exercise discipline. We see that clearly mandated to spiritual leaders in First Corinthians chapter four, verses uh, verse eighteen through chapter five through thirteen, and then Second Corinthians chapter two, verses six through eleven. So my responsibility as a spiritual leader is to, as we talk and communicate is to correct you if you're not thinking rightly according to the, the ways of God, the, the, what the Word of God says. I am to help you correct your, you know, sleeping and around and you're not married is a, doesn't line up with the Scriptures, okay, in regards to what the culture tells you. And my job is if you tell me you're doing that, I'm going to correct you out of love. There's going to be discipline because I'm hoping you'll listen and you'll recognize, oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay, I'll stop that. I w- wish it would be that easy if you would just be obedient. It is that easy. Not to say that it's happening here. I assure you, I, it's not happening here. But it is allowed, as we read the scriptures back then and even still today, lots of things are allowed that are in the church that are not right. And they're allowed to continue. And finally, the local church family needs encouragement and example. We see that here in First Thessalonians chapter two verses seven through 12, that spiritual leaders must have the strength of a loving father, but as gentle as a nurturing mother. That's what a spiritual leader needs to be to minister to the people. Now, not only is the first one that Paul describes what the church, the believers in the church are to be, is the house of God. That's where we're gathering together. But we also see that the church of the living God. The Greek, ancient Greek word for the word church is a non-religious word, ekklesia. It means assembly. Paul uses that word in conjunction with of the living God that says, I'm speaking of the, the assembly of believers together. The assembly of the church. We come to the assembly. You've heard that term many times. But it's the, there's a difference between assembling of, of getting together for another completely different reason. But then there's the assembly in the living God. And that's why it qualifies for us very specifically. And that word is used over about 100 times in the New Testament to refer to local churches or the assemblies of believers. That's what the church is. The third thing that he mentions here is the pillar and the ground of truth. And so when, as The house of God, we're coming to meet with God. That's why we come to church, is to meet with God, to hear from God by the word of God. Then we sit there and we come together because we're an assembly of believers. The church is not made and designed for assembly of non-believers. The church is designed for assembly of believers. We pray if there's anyone here who's a non-believer, through the reading of the word of God, they become a believer. Because I assure you, if you're a non believer and you have no desire to become a believer, you will not be able to handle the convictions of the Word of God being taught verse by verse. You could handle maybe the music if we play for an hour of music. You could handle that probably, because it's just music to you. You love the beat. But this is not an entertainment center. This is not a program center. This is not a, uh, a homeless shelter. It's not a, any of these things. We are a church assembling of believers coming together. For what reason? He says right here clearly, become, be a pillar and ground of truth. He uses a very architectural description or image here. Why? Because they were in Ephesus. Why? That is where the Temple of Diana was, where there was about 127 magnificent, huge, pillars that made that temple. So he used this great and says, wait a minute, you understand, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. The foundation of the church has to be based upon God's truth and nothing else. But tragically, many churches today sell God's truth short. They don't hold the truth. They don't emphasize the reading and the teaching of the word of truth. They don't even, even encourage you to bring your Bibles at all to even open it up so you know where they're reading and if they are reading anything. And so many don't even believe that this is the inherent word of God that it's all true given by God. Because if you really believe it, then you know that you'll be now responsible to do it. And so many churches don't emphasize that this is the word of God. They're just good things to think about and consider. <laughs> you know for me, I've never said that. <laughs> I say, once you hear it, now you're responsible, now go do it. There's not a question if you should or not. Why would, I, why would I so soften this and make it so lukewarm just for you to come back? Then send you out in the world that's going to destroy you because you don't have the truth and you're not... I, I, I don't understand that at all. And so I keep it very simple and straightforward. So there's no question when you hear from my mouth what I mean so you're not you're not oh i think i could probably take pastors you know Corey's words and kind of think he meant this no no you can't do those kinds of things because i pretty much make it straightforward for you to understand the importance of the word of god that's why you're here that's why you're here is because you get the word of god so you can go back and study it and study it and apply it to your life And watch your life transform. And all of you have your own testimonies of that. The church is the pillar of the truth because by its ministry, the truth is preserved and spread. The church must preserve and spread the word of God. That is why we are here together, assembling together. It isn't that the church is the foundation for the truth. Important I say that again. The church is not the foundation for the truth but that the church holds up God's truth so the world can see it clearly in and through our lives if the church is not teaching the world how would the non-church world ever know and see and hear the word of God they wouldn't they would get a skewed version of whatever people are out there trying to sell their books. So when the local church turns away from God's truth and compromises in their ministry, then the enemy makes progress becoming against the church. And that is why churches dry up. And that is why churches become ineffective. They're no longer salt. There is no flavor in them whatsoever. And it doesn't change lives. So now we see in verse 16, the main truth to which a church should bear witness is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is the main truth for the assembly of the church. And Paul finishes it in verse 16 right here. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. So look at each one of those in the description of why we hold to the truths of God. And it's summarized right here in this beautiful little uh Ancient hymn, many people believe. This is a song that was, was sung in regards to who Jesus Christ is. Without controversy, he says. When he says without controversy, I'm supposing he, he means that there, there ought to be no controversy whatsoever regarding the facts that is being, being stated here. There should be none. But we know as well as I that these controversies have always been arisen and concerned and always will be. Because the enemy will always look for ways to come against Jesus Christ. That's how the enemy works. And that mystery of godliness or godlikeness that transformed life that takes place. That God was manifested in the flesh. This is the essence of incarnation. That God the Son, the second person of the Trinity added to his deity, humanity. And therefore, he was manifested in the flesh. We see the second piece here, that not only was he manifested in the flesh, not only at his birth, but during his entire earthly ministry. And we see that noted in John 14, verses 1 through 9 but he was justified in the Spirit. We can say that Jesus was justified by the Spirit, not in the essence or sense that he was once sinful and then became what? Or been made righteous, but the fact that he was declared to be by the Holy Spirit of what he already was. He was already completely justified before the Father, and he was revealed by the Holy Spirit to those who saw. Now Jesus came onto the scene and the nation of his own people rejected him. But Jesus Christ was justified in the spirit as we know. And this declaration was made at his baptism in Matthew 3.16. And also at his resurrection in 1 Peter 3.18. And also noted in Acts 2 verses 32 and 33. So not only does he is we see manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, but we see that seen by angels. So the ministry of Jesus, both on earth and through the church, is of great interest to the angels and the angelic beings that we see in the scripture. There were many instances when Jesus was seen by angels, and I won't go through all the scriptures, but especially at his resurrection in Matthew 28, 2-7. through seven. And then we see preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Paul himself did his very best to fulfill the ministry that God called him to do through this statement. He says he was busy preaching Jesus among the Gentiles, bringing the world to belief. He kept sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel of who Jesus Christ is. He did not share his ministry, his ministry, his teaching ministry, his church ministry. He taught of who Jesus Christ is. And it should be the same today. Because we must remember God's way of creating faith in men's hearts is not by pictures, not by music, ...or even symbols... ...but by the hearing of the word of God. And there is... ...that is the, the way. And then we see he's received up in glory. And it reminds us of Jesus' ascension... ...we see in Luke twenty four fifty one, His finished work on our behalf... ...that he did on the cross in Hebrews 1, 3... And his present intercession for us. We see in 1 John 2.1. Remember, Jesus ascended up into heaven. And regardless of all the pictures you may have seen, you have to understand the scripture that when he ascended into heaven in his resurrection body, his body still restain, or, uh, retained The marks of where the nails were in his hands and in his feet and in his side where the wound of his side. Can you imagine the puncture wounds that were in his head from the crown of thorns? We will see that when we see him in heaven. The marks of the the love that he took for us on the cross will be seen in his glorified state When we see him face to face. And all the sufferings that he did on our behalf. And you can go back and read John chapter 20. Verse 24 through 29 today. Now Paul's description of Jesus. After the passage speaking of Christian character. Reminds us of the key to our own character transformation that God wants to do in and through our lives by beholding to Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as, a, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as, the, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We must remember, as we close here, that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all of these descriptions of godly characteristics. It's it's who he is. And we trust that Jesus will transform our life according to that same character that's in him because we want to be more like Christ. And as we put our focus on him, He sometimes wants, or I probably should say, our desire must be of who he is personally and not some religion or some programs or some activities. To think that that is going to build your character or change your character, but it will not. It's only way you will change your character of who you are on the inside is going to only happen based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the closer that relationship becomes deeper and deeper and deeper, and your desire for that deep relationship with Christ, that's where the deeper change of transformation of your character will take place. There is no other way, my brothers and sisters. And that's why I always ask you to go deeper in your relationship. Spend more time with him. Ask more questions about from him. And what will happen is that transformation will work in your life and their character will be changed. Your desire to serve God will happen and you will find that God will put a calling on your life called to serve him in whatever capacity he has given you. Because when you were born again, he gave you a spiritual gift or gifts for the body of Christ. And he expects you to use it in the body that is why it's so important that we continue to gather together in these times personally this is exciting times these are very exciting times for us because it might become more and more challenging for us to share the gospel or to to lead people to Christ so that they can understand how they can get out of their, 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 their life that is just dying and falling apart. But I want to encourage you, the power of the Holy Spirit lives within you. He will make a way to reach those who are lost and encourage those in the faith.